Hey, 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 it's your girl, So So Lovely. And your girl, Deja Ali. And we are the host of the Bad and Boozy Podcast. Join us every Wine Crush Wednesday as we discuss... Wine, life, and other liquor-related shenanigans. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bad and Boozy Pod. And send your drunken wine hotels to Bad and Boozy Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget... The best wine is the one you like. The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Happy birthday to me. I am glad to be back, and let's get it. All right. And special guest joining us this evening, none other than a returning, Nabias Wilborn. What's going on, Nabias? Man, just another day in the jungle, brothers. Um, let's get this party going, man. All right, man. We're so uh, glad to have you back with us. Chop it up with us for a little bit. So before we get going, we'll let everybody know that Notice Score is a part of the CSPN. You can find us on the web at CSPN.us. So since we've got Nabias here, we'll start with the MLB playoffs as we had the Brewers sweep the Rockies and the NLDH. NLDS and the Dodgers defeated the Braves 3-1 in the NLDS. So Nabias, we'll get you in right here for the Dodgers and Braves series. Um, I know you got to see that up close and personal. It looked like uh, the Braves maybe were going to extend it to a fifth game. They were looking pretty good there until Manny Machado wrapped one around a foul pole and, uh, you know, broke that game open. So, you know, the Braves are maybe a year or two ahead of schedule. So, you know, give us an assessment of kind of the season in a whole and just kind of what they ran into in the playoffs and then maybe what they'll be looking forward to next year to improve on this season that came kind of out of the blue for most people's eyes. That's a lot of damn questions there. But uh, I guess I'll try to make it as briefly as possible. There's a lot of questions, brother. Uh, but, you know, I guess I'll start with the season to work my way through. I mean, you look at this team – when you come into the year, you have no way of predicting that Nick Barkakis was going to have probably the best season he's had in the last five years. Um, you have no way of predicting that Ozzie Albies is going to hit 25 homers and hit 20 really before the first half, right? I mean, you, you couldn't predict that. You couldn't predict. You knew Ronald Acuna was going to be good, okay? I mean, he came in being compared to some of the greats ever. Like, that's the comparisons that he came into with, right? He came in being compared, you know, Ralph Gar, who's one of the great scouts and played with Hank Aaron, compared him to Hank Aaron. I mean, you've had people comparing to Roberto Clemente. You had people comparing to Andrew Jones. So he expected him to be good. But there's no way 
you could have predicted he would hit 26 home runs and he was just named to Sporty News's um, all-star team. You know what I'm saying? Along with Freddie Freeman. Um, you look at the catcher tandem of Tyler Tyler Flowers and I almost called Tyler Suzuki because they're so you know connected to each other. I mean, there's no way that Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki would have had the years that they had together, right? Again, because they did it last year, but there's no way you can predict it that they would have had those type of seasons back-to-back in consecutive years. There's no way you could have predicted that Dansby Swanson would have been as good of a defender as he was, right? Uh, you go on down the line. I mean, I can go through the whole roster. Mike fulton was an all-star this year. You didn't see that coming because, you know, I mean, look, the guy's, what, 26, 27 years old, and while they're still young, he hadn't shown that he was going to be that type of guy. Uh, Anibal Sanchez. Here's a guy who the Braves thought at best was going to be a long relief guy. Ends up being the game two starter in the playoffs. Who would have saw that coming? You know, you go on down the line. They got a lot of confidence. Johan Camargo was a guy who the Braves mostly at 24 mostly saw as, I would guess, a super utility type guy. And here he is as a starting third baseman in the playoffs and had a great year. There's so many guys who had career-type years and they're young for the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, you still haven't mentioned Sean Newcomb and, you know, Max Freed as a pitcher. I mean, you go on down the list. They've had a lot of guys. Tuki Toussaint. You know, this guy was pretty big in the playoffs and, started some games at the end of the year. So, yeah, you had a lot of guys who had years that just were unfathomable and it led you to a 91 season. Brian Snicker is, by most people's definition, a manager of the year. You also have the only guy who you could really say on the you knew what you were going to get was Freddie Freeman. And even then, you didn't know if he was going to be healthy because the last couple of years he's been injured. Now, talk about uh, the playoffs they ran up against. A team in the Dodgers that, you know, that came in, banged up a little bit in some areas. They were able to get one game back at home. But, you know, just overall talk about that series and kind of what your assessment was. Shoot, where are the Dodgers banged up, man? You look at that that roster they have. I mean, they can go lefty, righty. I mean, whatever they want to do. I mean, when you have guys like Max Muncy, you know, look, the Braves played a postseason game where, the first guy off their bench was Ryan Flaherty. I mean, no offense to Ryan Flaherty, nice guy, but I mean, he ain't no Max Muncy, and that's who the Braves had. That's who the Dodgers had in there coming off the bench for their first hitter. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Things are a little bit different <laughs> when you know your best bench option is okay. Tyler Flowers coming off, and oh well, they just put Matt Kemp in the game, who didn't even need to start. Not, a, I mean, Dodgers are just. There's a reason why. They've been to what the the NLCS for the last four seasons, and they went to the World Series last year, and were you know a pitch or two away from winning it. Even with them not being at their best, they're still one of, if not the best teams in the National League. The Braves, you know, yeah, okay, you look at the Dodgers' record; they've had some injuries through the season, but when you're coming with Clayton Kershaw, when you're coming with Ryu, when you're coming with Kelly Jansen to finish off games in that bullpen. I mean, there's not really much of a weakness with the Dodgers, and they've shown that not only in the Braves series, but so far in a very tough series against the Milwaukee Brewers. So 
you know, I, but the beautiful thing about it is if you are a Braves fan, what you can do is realize, okay, hey, we weren't there. You know, my friend D-Led, who covers the Falcons for the AJs, said, are we there yet games? Okay? You, you have an are we there yet game. And for the Braves, it's an are we there yet series. And no, nah, you're not there yet. But you're closer than you've been coming off three consecutive 90 lost seasons. You win 90 games, and you're in a division where, you know, hey, maybe you go ready to be running back next year. I think Alex Anthopoulos, GM, will make some improvements. The Braves will get a lot better. They're going to go out and get a front-line starter. They're going to try to get a bat, probably out of Machado or a Bryce Harper, but they're, they're, they're going to spend some money. They're going to get better, and I think good times are ahead for the Braves. But, nah, they weren't ready for the Dodgers, man. The Dodgers are on just another level, man. All right. So we'll shift over to the American League where the Red Sox defeated the Yankees 3-1 in a divisional series. Houston swept the Cleveland Indians in their divisional series matchup. So that leads to the AOCS where currently the Red Sox leads the Astros 2-1. So, Dwayne, I'll bring you in on the American League here. We talked about this uh, matchup coming, these two matchups actually coming in to fruition the two number you know the number one seeds against the number two seeds in both the american and national league i thought that the red sox might have too many offensive weapons and it's actually proven to be true verlander pitched a very good game one they got that one but the red sox have really put up some big cricket numbers the past couple of games so do you see that trend continuing as the scene you know stays in houston before they go back to uh boston well, I think it depends on who the Astros bring on in the starter for the next two games. I think Verlander will likely get game five. And uh, Houston, I think Morton's getting the start for game four tonight as we record this. And uh, the Red Sox uh, don't pitch to Jackie Bradley Jr. when the bases are loaded. I was watching – that game last night when he belted that grand slam, flipping between the Celtics opener and the LCS and SmackDown and and watching that ball sail out the juice box was um, pretty much a dagger because it was a close game throughout and that that um, seventh inning broke it wide open and it was really just um, – you know, the pitching, the bullpen from the Red Sox have been very stout. And I think they'll go up. I think it'll be 3-2. I think the Astros get the split in Houston. It goes back to Fenway for game six. So the Red Sox will close it out. All right. All right. Nobias, anything you'd like to add when it comes to the American League uh, championship series between the Red Sox and Astros? Well, first, let me start with you mentioned Cleveland. The Indians, I actually was surprised they didn't put up more of a fight in that series. You know, I was talking to some scouts coming in, and several people thought that that was the true ALCS based upon how good Cleveland was coming into it mm. with Kluber. They just didn't show up, and, you know, it's the second year in a row. They didn't show up in the playoffs. Well, and look, uh, can I throw a theory out there? Go ahead. Their division. When was the last time oh, they no, played a game that, 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 that really meant something? I mean, you have, you know, maybe a series every month where you get up against one of the front runners, Yankees or Red Sox, or maybe a team below yeah. you that's right below you. But when you're not playing, you know, any meaningful games in your division, how ready can you be for the playoffs? Well, that and then even when you do play those big games, they don't really matter. So if you drop two or three of them, right, like you don't really care because, again – 
you're more concerned about your division, which your division was pretty much in hand by, you know, <laughs> the middle of <laughs> the middle of August, really. I mean, you know, the twins were supposed to compete, but you know, they didn't and they're like they're gonna compete again. I guess the real question is if you are a Indians fan, where does your faith in Tito stand? You know what I'm saying? I don't know that answer. Because yes, he won World Series, but he hadn't won them in Cleveland. He won those in Boston. And those have been what? It's been about ten years now. So, you know, do you believe that he's that guy? And and, and I don't know that answer, because it, it's it's not an easy question to answer. Be, but you do have to start to ask the question. Is Tito the manager that people think he is? Is he still that guy? I don't know. Or maybe you don't have enough players. I don't know. But I do know the last couple of years, when they've gotten into the playoffs, when they've gotten up against the, the Astros, when they've gotten up against, you know, the Yankees, when they've gotten up against the Red Sox, they're going home and they shouldn't be because that is a good ball club, a lot of good young players. But, you know, these windows don't stay open as long as people think they do. Now, as far as the ALCS, I mean, look, you have the two best teams in the American League by record and with players. I mean, you look at what the Astros bring with coming in with 103 wins, and quite honestly, they had their injuries and everything else, maybe a little bit of World Series hangover. Then you come back with the Red Sox, who won 108. Now, some of that, too, is they played the Baltimore Orioles 19 times, as well as the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, so... You know, they did play and beat up and feast on some bad teams. But nonetheless, they're still a good ball club. And that's going to be a fun series. I think it's going to go down seven either way. And I think that when it's all said and done, I'm picking Houston to come out. I mean, I don't have a baseball logic reason on this. I think the Red Sox are better. But I think somehow, some way, the Houston Astros find a way to win that game seven in Fenway Park, and it won't be easy. All right, so we'll shift it over for uh, both of you guys to the National League Championship Series. The Dodgers, last night, they outlasted the Brewers in 13 innings to win 2-1. to one. Uh, That was a really good game, really re- well-pitched and well-played. Uh, Dodgers got to last that bat walk-off hit single to, uh, to take it tied up as we shift the scene uh, back to Milwaukee. So, Bakes basically it's best two out of three. Kershaw's gonna get one more go at it. Do the Dodgers have enough, you know, is the talent just gonna outweigh the home field advantage? So we'll start with Dwayne on that one. Your thoughts on does the Dodgers talent outweigh the Brewers getting the next two out of three games at home? Right now, since it's one nothing, because uh, that game's on right now, it's one nothing. Brewers. Um, so right now, it's not to their advantage. Um, but it's going to be depending on if the Dodgers can get that, you know, that time of hit that, that will get them around to uh, score, uh, score that run or runs to rally up. So it's really close. They can, they can still do it. They, they did it last night in that marathon of the game. I, you know, I'm sure that was a long ride home from Savezarine to wherever Dodger fans had to go. At even at 11:30 at night, um, and we seen that traffic in LA. But in order to, in order for this uh, team to uh, get going, uh, 
he does. Wade Miley has been lights out in this, and he was lights out in game two or game one when he played against Kershaw. And, you know, Clayton Kershaw has a shorter side, I don't know, his career, but um, we kind of got back to the whole October Kershaw whatnot. And he's playing relatively well right now, but we just got to see what – you know how the rest of the game plays out. I think that the Dodgers still have a chance to win this game. They have a chance to go back to Milwaukee up, but it's going to be really, really tough, especially with that deep bullpen the Brewers have. I mean, the Brewers don't really have a um, like a fourth or fifth starter. They just use a long reliever because that bullpen is that good. Yeah, but I'm also curious to see how long that bullpen can hold up. I mean, you know, assuming they win, let's say let's say the Brewers do win in LA and get the series back, you know, two up, right? Stay for travel, but um, at some point those arms, I mean, are they going to be able to make it? I, I don't know. But I mean, you're asking Corey Canable and Hader, you know, to do multiple innings on back to back days. That is a lot of wear and tear on these guys' arms. Either they're going to feel it now or they're going to feel it later. I mean, I, I don't know, man, because, you know, I, and again, I know baseball is changing and evolving, and, you know, for me, it's my second year on the baseball beat, so, you know, I'm still learning, you know, how things are evolving, and it's a lot of difference when you're pitching these relievers every single day. Right. I, 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 just, don't, I just don't know if it's going to be sustainable, but I tell you what, if nothing else, the Dodgers got bats, man. They got bats for days. I mean, you know, you have you can bring Puig in. You like I mentioned Max Muncy earlier, you know, Bellinger. I mean, they got some they got some guys, man. They got some real hitters, dude. I I, I agree. As good as those pitchers are, I gotta wonder if they can hold up and withstand the test of time. And I don't know. I mean, they've done it so far. And, you know, the Brewers are a Really good ball club. They're, they are good defensively. And obviously, with Christian Yelich, who's probably going to be the MVP of the league, you know, they could rake. I mean, you look at what they have as an offensive lineup. They're solid. I mean, it's been a fun series to watch, man. I, but again, my question will be can those relievers keep posting? And I don't know that answer. Because I don't know that answer, I got to pick the Dodgers to find a way to win that series. All right, so Tobias is saying he's thinking it's going to be an Astros and Dodgers rematch. Dwayne, what about you? I think it's going to be it's going to be the Red Sox and I'm going to take a gamble. I'm going to say the Red Sox and Brewers. All right, all right. So we'll see this time I mean, next I week. What, Tell you what, MLB will be happy. I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're Major League Baseball, you want Dodgers, Dodgers, Red Sox, of course. Right. Uh, so you you least want Astros and Brewers. One because of the markets, and you know, I mean, although traveling to that would be a lot easier because you're only going to catch the one flight from Milwaukee to Houston. That's going to be pretty simple. Right. Um, you know, Continental Airlines is going to make a whole lot of money that that series if that happens. Um, but, you know, the negative of it is, and we had not really talked about this, is 
you know, the Astros are kind of in a little bit of a Patriots-type situation right now, man. I mean, MLB is trying to cover it up, but, you know, I've, I've been talking to some people, and, you know, there's I mean, a lot of people huh? who feel the Astros are doing some really grimy stuff. So, if for MLB, do you want to deal with that? Because you can't cover that series without covering the scandal. Yeah, and this is like a not a good look because just last year they had the dude from the Cardinals doing that shady stuff. Uh, yeah. Know, so, you know, it's back-to-back seasons here where they've had some kind of controversy about what teams are doing as far as, in the Astros' case, videotaping, you know. And the crazy thing was it was the Astros that accused the Cardinals of doing that stuff. Yeah, I mean – well, it was a couple years ago, I think it was like two years ago, where um, the Cardinals had a former Astros employee who had worked there, and he had kept one of the computers, and had some old passwords, and was logging into like the Astros, like proprietary scouting system, which is actually considered to be the best in baseball, but it's interesting because the Astros are one of the few teams that they maybe have like eight scouts in their whole entire like scouting department. Um, you know, the Braves by comparison, you know, have two scouts in the city of Atlanta alone, like just covering amateur stuff, not including like the rest of Georgia and not including having somebody who covers, you know, Tennessee and different places. So it's kind of interesting. And a lot of it is because of their proprietary system that seems to be working. So, this Carter's employee hacked into anyway, also showing me that guy's in jail and that guy's banned from baseball, you know. So as far as the Astros, you know, what they're being accused of with the video, I just say this. There are a lot of people in baseball who feel that MLB is trying to cover this up for a lot of different reasons, and I can understand why. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, so yeah, we'll be on top of the World Series. That'll be starting next week. This is Know the Score. I am Don DeLorente. I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. And this week, we're joined by Nabias Wilborn. So, fellas, we'll talk about some college football. It was upset Saturday out there as Georgia went down to LSU. They didn't do much. 36-16, 36-16, LSU finally gets a marquee win for Coach O, Ed Ogeron. So I was totally surprised at Georgia's lack of offense in this game. Uh, quarterback play was lacking big time. So, Dwayne, I'll let you start with this one, man. Um, LSU, you know, bounced back from that tough loss to Florida. They got this one against Georgia at home. Their prospects are looking a lot brighter than they were two weeks ago. So, uh, just your assessment of uh, Georgia taking this one on the chin. Yeah, this was a very shocking uh, game, only because of the way LSU played. I expected a great game up in Death Valley because it is, the, it is one of the toughest places to play. And, you know, Georgia, I expected them to come out, you know, a lot better than they did. But... LSU has been a buzzsaw all season. I learned that the first week of Miami, I didn't give them much of a chance in that matchup. You know, I really should have been, you know, cautious of the fact that it is Miami. But, you know, LSU hasn't been like the LSU that, you know, that I have been accustomed to. But they proved me completely wrong. 
And even that loss to Florida, I thought that was a game they should have won. That was more of LSU losing than Florida winning that game. And they were right back in the thick of things. I think LSU, uh, Joe Burrow is a very good quarterback, and uh, he really gets that offense going down the field methodically. The defense was really stout. They frustrated uh, from and Georgia just couldn't get anything going. They really had no answer. And at Orgeron, you know, uh, you got to have a lot of consideration for not just, you know, SEC coach of the year, but national coach of the year. Right, right. Well, so let's hold off on that a little bit. I mean, again, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, look, LSU, they played a good game. They deserved to win. Um, but I really never had high hopes for Georgia. Uh, you know, from talking to people I know who cover that team around, I mean, they're young, man. I mean, they're really young. I mean, they lost. You got to remember, I mean, you look, look at what they lost. And not only look at what they lost from last year, look what those guys are doing in the league. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, they lost some NFL caliber guys. And Georgia's good. They're going to be good for a while. Kirby Smart definitely has that program on the uptick. But Joey Bama, yeah, you're not just gonna you're not just gonna lose, you know, eight to ten, you know, first day draft pick type guys and just come back and be the same. Now that's not to say that Georgia won't get you. I think they will. I think Kirby Smart will learn from this game because, quite honestly, some of the play calling did not help those kids at all. But man, you got some babies out there. And LSU got a bunch of grown men, and you know, look, they beat Georgia. Now that being said. You know, Georgia's schedule gets interesting. It looks a lot harder now than we thought. Because at first, everybody's schedule. Well, now it's a lot better than what we thought they were. LSU is clearly better than what we thought they were. Um, you know, Kentucky and Vandy aren't slouches. Remember, because remember, Kentucky beat Florida, right? So, I mean, you know, I think it's just that, you know, the SEC is the SEC again, but. Some schools are better than people thought, and we'll see how this plays because, you know, Georgia could easily run the table, including the SEC championship game, be right back where they want to be, or they can mess around and lose a couple. So, you know, we will find out. They got a bye week this week, and we'll see how they bounce back. Uh, yeah, it, you know, they they, they got home. That's that. The trend continued as Oregon. They beat number seven Washington in overtime, thirty to twenty-seven. So even with a bad coaching move by uh, Oregon's uh, coach, he used his timeouts to ice the kicker instead of trying to save time for his team to go back down the field and kick a field goal to tie the game up. If Washington had made their field goal, the kicker missed. Oregon survives. So, um, you know, Washington had that one loss against Auburn. We'll talk about them in a second. Uh, earlier in the season, but now they probably, you know, pretty much wasted their, you know, final chance at trying to be a part of the playoff this year. So Oregon's definitely going to be a team on the rise. The Pac-12 uh, right now doesn't seem to have a, you know, a clear-cut favorite just of yet. So is Oregon going to be the team now out in the West? Nabias, I'll let you start with that one. I mean, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I, and, I, and I say that seriously because uh, today – but, I mean, you know, let's say USC gets on a run and beats Notre Dame. 
when they play them, right? I mean, I, I don't know, man. That, that pack, that pack, 10, 12, 15, whatever they're calling it, is so out of whack and so weird. There's no real one dominant team, and I don't think they've sent somebody to the playoffs. I think, I think the SEC is going to find a way to get to Ohio State, and then uh, maybe a wild card, man. All right. So, Dwayne, Michigan State, they knocked off Penn State 21 to 17. So, Penn State, you know, they still kind of reeling off that loss to Ohio State. They still haven't recovered and got their head back into the game. So, Michigan State now sets themselves up to come in against this big game that they have next week against Michigan, riding high. So, you know, talk about maybe what you saw in this game where Penn State, uh, you know, now is going to be, you know, probably out of the playoff picture as well now. It's completely over for Penn State. And this sets up a real good matchup this weekend between Big Brother and Little Brother. And I just think that with the way Penn State, they collapsed at Ohio State on the big stage at home again. Then you go back to seeing what they did against Michigan State. I mean, they it's one of those games where they just had the game in hand, but it just did not work out for them. And now, you know, James Franklin, I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat, but it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you have those high expectations. You have those high expectations, and, you know, you get so close, but... You always have that one or two games where that puts you out, and now you're just trying to figure out what what's going to happen next. So, what they'll have to do is, you know, regroup, try to find out, you know, what they want to, how they're going to, you know, consistently put on a show where they don't collapse in those big moments. I think the lights are just too bright for for some of these um, for some of these Penn State. Uh, players. All right. The trend of upsets continued as Virginia at home upset Dwayne's team, number 16, Miami, 16 to 13. So, you know, the Mark Richt, you know, offensive guru, but can barely score 17 points. Trend continues. Um, yeah. let, <laughs> the bias. Mark Rick and Miami, yeah. they seem like they had a, a, a you know a resurgence last year, but it seems like you know he started playing musical chairs with his quarterbacks again, and he can't find that right that right template. So, you know, what do you see for Miami the rest of the year? Or do you think they can compete, maybe get back into the ACC championship game race? I mean, sure, because most of those ACC things aren't any good. So, yeah, sure. I mean, they can, they can go on a run, and I mean. Uh, but I mean, I, I, well, I guess the, the real question is, who is Miami? Like, we keep looking for that is Miami back moment, right? And I think, I think if we're to be honest with ourselves, we've been looking for that for about fifteen years now. I mean, realistically, if you're a kid and you're under the age of say twenty twenty five. You've never really seen Miami be the U, right? I mean, I don't even call them the U anymore. They're the University of Miami. So I'm sorry. I mean, that's no offense to nobody. Look, I, I respect their history and legacy, but it's just that. It's history and legacy. It's old. You know what I mean? Look, 
I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but look, there was a time when the Cleveland Browns were the best team in football. But that was in the 60s. That was a time when the Raiders were the Raiders. That was in the 70s and 80s. That was a time when the Cowboys meant something. That was in the 90s. And that's how I look at the, that's how I look at the University of Miami Hurricanes. And to you. That being said, I do think Mark Rick has them going in the right direction, even though they did lose a tough game to Virginia. Um, I, but I also think there's to be different. I do think Mark Rick's the right man for the job. I do think that they will find a way to win some games. They got to be FSU at the end of the season. They already played FSU. They got to, yeah, they already beat FSU. So they, they got to find ways. Way you know. I mean, I'm sorry. Who's there? Who's who's up on their schedule that actually matters? Let's take a look. Give me just a second, and I'll let you know. But yeah, they came back from twenty down to beat FSU. Yeah. I remember that game. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, Willie uh, Taggart uh, makes it past just one season with Florida State. Because man, I hope he that, stays. That was I a crusher. If he stays. That was a crusher right there. Now, I mean, now, I, and I'm gonna say this now. Be careful what you wish for. I, I think Taggart. I mean, look, man. They're, they're obviously not good. They don't. They don't have a lot of. They don't have the customary FSU talent that they've been yeah. used to. Yeah, and, and again, so, and, and look, and I know people are looking at the recruiting rankings with FSU. They're like, well, they had all these three and four stars. Yeah, but you know what? When you get them on campus, you find out what they really are, and they have a lot of guys that they missed on recruiting. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So you, so you want to – okay, so based on record Miami. or based on, like, schools – well, no, just Miami's schedule. What's left? I'm trying to remember what's they, left. That I got. At, Boston, at Boston College on Friday. All right. That should be a dub. Versus okay, Duke. That should be a, that should be a dub. At Georgia Tech. Uh, that can go either way. Right. At Virginia Tech. Uh, they might lose that one. Right. And then they, they host Pitt at home to end the season. That should be a dub. So, yeah, they should um, have. I mean, because. Because tech, tech is funny, especially at home, uh, knowing Old tech Dominion. that might be a – yeah, I mean, they haven't released the time. Is that, is that a Thursday night game? Is that a Thursday game or a Saturday game? The that one against Saturday. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is oh, Saturday. Okay, so it might uh, – if it's a night game, they might be in trouble. Yeah. But, of course, I mean, that depends on TV, and we won't know that yet. But, I mean, if that's a night game, they might be in trouble uh, in, on, on the flats because – Something about tech, man. They they show up, you know. They show up when they when play the against somebody. When those lights are bright. Hey, when, when that sun goes down and the lights come on, they show up. But now mm-hmm. we'll see. But hey, Virginia Tech is always tough anyway, just because you know how that goes. And that's that Virginia Tech too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that might be that might be that, that might be an L. Especially uh, when they play that interesting, man. Oh yeah, nah, man. It, look, I've been in there, man. It, it, it go, it goes down in Virginia Tech. So I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it ain't gonna be easy for Miami, man. I mean, they, you know, look, they, they should be, they should beat Boston College. They should beat Duke, but Duke's not gonna be easy because uh, Cutcliffe or nothing else, they can score the ball. Um, like I said, Tech can go either way depending on which Tech team shows up. Georgia Tech, excuse me, and Virginia, Virginia Tech, that might be an L. So, and then Pitt, they should win. So, what, we said five games? 
Yeah. Um, so I would good. say three. I would say three and two out of that five would be reasonable. Four and one would be Gucci. If they if they somehow run the table, that'd be amazing. But right. I, I don't. I I don't see them as the type of ticket. What they went back? They're going back to Rosier, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. I yeah. I, and I I don't get it because. All right, you recruited these other quarterbacks and you played them, and then you know, okay, they spit the bed, and so then now you're going back to Rozier. I just don't see how any quarterback he has has any confidence in himself. Right? Yeah, I kind of, kind of, that's I was scratching my head like that all season. Like, you know, you got a senior who, yeah, they collapsed in the last three games of last season. What's about the? Helm, and then, you know, he wasn't getting that consistent play, that LSU opener. There you go. You go to the freshman, get his confidence up. Then he doesn't do well. Then, yeah, it's really a bad – it's really, honestly, that's a bad situation, you know. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I just don't see – I just don't see them having enough quarterback play to win the games they need to win. I mean, but you know what? That being said, maybe Rozier, you know, sacks up and realizes, hey, look, this is his last chance to to make anything out of his, whatever he wants to consider himself. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know if he's one of those guys who maybe has a year left. I, I, did he? I don't know if he redshirted. Maybe he has a year left. And maybe he, you know, decides to transfer to another place to one of those grad school transfers. Yeah. I don't know, but I mean... You know, he may say, "Hey, man, look, these are my last five games. Get through them." You know, I mean, he may he may go into this Boston College game because they're pretty bad. I mean, so maybe he plays well against them, builds some confidence, and then really kind of starts to, you know, string together some consistency, and you know, things might go well. I don't know because I quite honestly I haven't seen it in them, but you know, sometimes. Yeah. Guys like that, where they realize, okay, this is it. You know, I, I don't know if he has ambitions to go pro, but if he wants to go pro, he better do something. I mean, right. so yeah, this is it, bro. So I mean, maybe, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I don't see it, but you know, hey, strange things have happened, my friend. Yeah. And we'll wrap this up with the trend continuing. As shout out to Jay to the Max as her Tennessee balls. Went down to the Plains and beat Auburn 30-24. to So, Auburn, again, under Gus Malzahn, they seem to just find a way to, you know, always get this early season hiccup. And this time it was Tennessee getting them. So, you know, tough loss for Auburn. They've definitely, you know, set themselves farther back as they were at 21 coming into this week. So, maybe they can make it to the, the championship game for their side, but that would require them beating Alabama and Alabama having another loss as well. So, good luck on that. Right. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know, here's, well, here's the thing that, you, that you're looking at. I mean, because, you know, their season is whatever. I mean, look, they'll, they'll, they'll win some games and they'll go to the Citrus Bowl or whatever. Okay, fine. But the real question is going to be, and there's reports out there, that Auburn's considering buying this man out. And 
His contract is thirty-eight. His buyout is thirty-eight million dollars. Now I don't know if Auburn could come to a settlement with him. You know, I don't know what that would look like. Maybe they come to an agreement to where he doesn't get the whole, you know, the whole thirty-eight. But I, I don't know why Malzahn would do that. Because if you want me to go, I want my whole bag. Uh, maybe they defer some of that. But, you know, from I think Paul Feinbaum had it and then Brandon Marcello, one of the guys who covers Auburn for, I think, 24-7, and a couple other people kind of had it, you know, have reported this, that, you know, that they stand it short. That ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. They, they, they willing to pay that 38. That's a lot of damn money, man. And, but, you know, somehow or another they can't find money for the players. So, I, you know. I don't understand, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough situation to be in to where now you're looking at a situation of are you willing to pay this man that much money to not coach? Oh, and then hire a new coach, too. Right, right, for sure. What I want to talk about next, though, is an interesting situation where, Nabias, we have a young man who's making a decision about his future earnings in Nick Bosa. He's leaving Ohio State to focus on the NFL draft. So, you know, the Bosa family, Joey Bosa, his brother, and and their parents, you know, they're of a different sort of gangster. I think they're from Youngsville. They played hardball with the Chargers. Um, you know, they you know started the trend of sitting out in the bowl game. Um, so talk about this, though, leaving in the middle of, a, you know, the season for the number two team to focus on the NFL draft. Um talk about how maybe this might upset what Ohio State's got going on you know is this a distraction and how smart is this for Nick Bosa he wasn't playing anyway he was hurt I mean he had a he had a, and a, and a serious injury at that too right I mean what the abdominal injury I mean hey have you ever had your have you had your abdominal hurt bro have you ever had that no, you know what I'm saying like imagine like like a rib cage they it, it, say it hurts to breathe when you have the kind of injury that he had bro mm. Breathing hurts. You know what I'm saying? So, you ain't trying to play no football. And, I mean, at best, he would have maybe played the last couple games. That would have been, you know what I'm saying, maybe the conference championship game and whatever playoff games if they if they get there. Man, look, bro, my, my livelihood and my value ain't worth what? To play in a bowl game for you that I ain't getting paid for? I'm good. I'm good right here. I mean, I'm sure if Bosa was healthy, he would have seen the season through, but he wasn't going to come back to the end of the season anyway. I, I don't see no problem with it. I, I, I would think he'd be foolish to go back, considering his situation. Now, this is very different from him being healthy. And let's say, okay, Ohio State would have lost that game to Penn State and they would have lost another game. And then he's like, hey, man, we ain't going nowhere. No way, I'm done. That's different. Although I don't disagree with that. That's different from what he's doing. He's looking at it and like, hey, man, look, you know, I only got so many years to get out of this body. And I'm not going to waste a year of it fooling around with y'all. I ain't mad. I mean, to me, I, I would he would be foolish to do so. So shout out to his parents and shout out to the people within his inner circle who have advised this young man wisely because... Man, look, you go back you go back to that school you want to. 
get on folks your best the best of you, and then you end up. Let's say he comes back and gets hurt again. Now he may not make the combine. Now he may not, you know, whatever. Now you now you really mess with the man's money. You know, I saw several people who say hey, Nick Bosa is still number one on my draft board. You know, I talked to some NFL people. They say he's still number number one, or you know, what I'm saying wherever he was going to be on their draft board. And look, he did the right thing. Because the other thing is too, you go back, something happens. You end up not being able to go into the draft. Now you fall down. Now you lose a millions of dollars. And he also withdrew for school. So he's not even taking any school. He ain't taking any scholarship money. He's going to go back to Florida where his family's from, recover, train, get ready for the league. And I ain't mad at him. He did the right thing, bro. He, he did what, if I had a son in that situation, I'd advise my son to do. I ain't got no problem with it. All right. So, Dwayne, we'll bring you in for the marquee matchups, man. As we talked about, we got Michigan and Michigan State. NC State goes down to Death Valley to face off with Clemson. We got Mississippi State traveling into LSU. And out west, Oregon versus Washington State. So, out of those four matchups, which one intrigues you the most? Got to be NC State and Clemson. The only two unbeaten left in the ACC, pretty much, this is – this is Clemson's. I think this is really the ACC's last chance to beat Clemson because looking at Clemson's schedule, it's a cakewalk unless they systematically self-destruct. So NC State, they've got a tough task ahead of them. If they if they somehow go to Death Valley, beat the beat the Tigers, and then they run the table, Clemson's out the ACC title game. Then. You know, we have to see if um, a one-loss Clemson team can outduel a, a conference champion. I mean, we've seen it before, but, um, you know, I highly doubt that because ACC is not as strong as, say, the SEC or even the gauntlet Notre Dame has been going through as well. Um, so, NC State-Clemson is a really intriguing matchup of it all. Another... Another intriguing matchup that I that I'm looking at, of course, is Michigan, Michigan State. I didn't realize how highly ranked Michigan was until this morning, um, and so you know Michigan's right up there and in that top four range. So they really can't afford another loss. But you know, if anybody can, you know, have that upset in mind. It's Michigan State, so those are the two matches I'm gonna be looking for while I do my games that I'm assigned to this weekend. Um, and so it's gonna be really fun to watch. A uh, really fun Saturday. Uh, we'll see if NC State's really up to the task against Clemson, or if Clemson just gives them a reality check and says, you know, you still got a long way to go. All right. Another score this week is being brought to you by Amazon.com. Please head over to CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free at the top of the page. Click on that first link. That'll take you straight to Amazon. Do your shopping as you normally would. And some of your purchase comes back to CSPN to help keep another score free each and every week. So please support CSPN by going to CSPN.us and shopping through Amazon.com. Do it today. 
So, guys, we'll wrap up our final topic with the NFL. Sunday Night Football produced the classic, the best played game so far this season. It's probably top the Rams and the Vikings on thir- from Thursday Night Football a couple of weeks ago as we had the Patriots knock the Chiefs from the ranks of the undefeated 43-40. to 40. Uh, Tom Brady got the ball last, and he did Tom Brady things. He found Gronk for a big 30-yard completion that set up, you know, Mr. Automatic Grautkowski uh, for the field goal. But um, a great comeback from the Chiefs in the second half. Uh, they were down 24-9 at halftime. Uh, they came out in the second half, and Patrick Mahomes was on fire. Tyreek Hill had three touchdowns in the second half. And, uh, you know, if their defense was a little bit better, the Chiefs would have won this game. So, uh, Nabias, um, you know, what do you think about Patrick Mahomes? You know, young man's got a baseball background, but, you know, he's uh, doing football things and doing them pretty well. And, uh, you know, Andy Reid, if he can find a little bit of defense, man, this team might really be for real this year. Hey, man, you know, it's so interesting. Like, when, I, when I realized who he was and who he is and, you know, his dad, his dad's actually still kind of active in baseball. So I kind of got to meet his dad a little bit. And, you know, his journey has been fascinating. And, you know, look, this kid was throwing in the 90s. You know, I think he was in the 10th grade. Um, He was also a legitimate star basketball player. So, I mean, this kid's just, I mean, he's out of the womb. A very unique athlete. So, you know, he's just one of those guys. And... He shows it in football. I mean, you know, personally, just well, if I had a son, I think my, I think I'd rather have my son playing baseball than football, especially as a pitcher because they had tend to have longer careers. But you know, he clearly has found the home in football. This guy is a very unique quarterback, and I think he is only just getting started. He is only starting to touch the tip of the iceberg of his potential. In uh, this kid's scary, man. He's nasty. Like, this kid is, I mean, the the way he can throw through certain windows, he can make all the throws, he can move with his feet, he's solid in the pocket. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know what to compare him to because, I mean, he doesn't have the legs of a Mike Vick because nobody does. And he might not have the arm strength of a, let's say, John Elway. But he's darn near close on both. And he's got the pocket presence of any great quarterback he's seen. But he's got the gunslingerness of a, I don't know if gunslingerness is a word, but it is today, of a Brett Favre. I mean, he's got a lot of things in him, man. And more importantly, he's one of the coaches willing to let him be him and Andy Reid, man. Whew. It's scary. I tell you what, man. He showed a lot in that game against the Patriots. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see them match up in January, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs get them that time. Because that boy Mahomes is a bad, bad man, and he's only getting started. Now, Dwayne, you know, we always talk about the Patriots in September, near the end of September, where they kind of look their worst. And then we flip the calendar over to October, and bam, here they go with, what, 38, 38, and 43? Right. That they've put up as far as point totals here. 
Um, so, you know, talk about the Patriots finding their stride. You know, the, the last couple of weeks uh, they've had their full complement of offensive weapons with Julian Edelman being back in the lineup. Um, they've got Sony Michelle. Looks like he's starting to get integrated now as kind of the, you know, first and second down back. And then they're sprinkling in White and whomever else they use. So, you know, uh, what did you notice from the Pats in these last three weeks that, uh, you know, that maybe it wasn't happening in September? That second bullet point you just mentioned, Sony Michelle. He has been a difference maker, like Nabias alluded to when we were talking about Georgia. Those eight to ten NFL caliber talents that that um, Georgia lost. There's one of them right there, and he has emerged and he has fit this uh, system very well. He's been a great uh, runner inside the tackles, outside the tackles. It seems like he's getting uh, four or five nine yards to carry, like, every single time he touches the ball, he gets a touchdown. It makes me sick in fantasy every single time when I play against him. So, um, but it's really kind of good to see, you know, the Patriots don't have a running back by committee like they have had over these last several years. They do have pretty much they turn to an every down uh, back and, you know, James White's been more of a receiving back in the in this time anyway. Same with Rex Burkhead before he got hurt. So uh, to have like a every down back to take the load off of Tom Brady's arm, that's a blessing for the Patriots. And, and that also will make sure that, you know, it prolongs Brady's career another year maybe. We shall see, but... But um, that's been the real difference maker from what I've seen the last several weeks, and and uh, and now you're at four and two with Miami with Adam Gacy and the Dolphins, who somehow got 31 points out of Brock Osweiler. Go figure. Um, we'll just have to see how uh, when those two go ahead or if the Dolphins falter. But New England's New England's doing New England things and. And uh, we'll just have to see where it goes from there. All right. We'll talk about another Georgia running back that was very prominent in a victory. And that would be Todd Gurley as he rushed for over 200 yards as the Rams remain undefeated with a 23-20 win over the Broncos. So the Rams showing some diversity. Um, You know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was just marveling at Jared Goff and the big numbers and accuracy he was putting putting up. But this week, because I have a golf and fantasy football, they relied on uh, Todd Gurley a lot more, and uh, he carried the mail and uh, got them this win over the Broncos. So, Nabias, we'll bring you back in. You know, um, the Rams have, you know, basically shown up on offense, and it seems like their defense is starting to kind of find their way, too. They've held teams down here the last couple of weeks uh, to the low 20s as far as point totals go. How scary can this team be? And a side note, they've started 6-0 and more times than any team in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I, yeah, that side note is kind of interesting, but you know, um, that's a whole other thing because that could mean a lot of different things. But um, look, man, I mean, they're the best team in the NFL right now. I mean, they're playing the best. I mean, you look at what they do and how they do it, uh, I don't think anybody's playing better than them right now. I don't think anybody is even coming close to playing better than them right now. Uh, they are as close to 
a complete NFL team is there is today. And I say that today because, of course, you know, somebody gets hurt or something happens, you know, whatever. You know, obviously, until the Patriots are dead buried, you assume they're going to always figure it out. You know, the Eagles are kind of starting to get it together a little bit. You know, I don't know what's become of the Atlanta Falcons. You know, they have too many injuries. You know, you go on down the list, you can name different flaws. But you look at the L.A. Rams right now, I mean, they're probably the team with the least amount of flaws in football playing right now. I can't think of another team that is nearly as complete as they are. So, yeah, no, they're dangerous. They're here. They're going to be around. And I think they're going to be around for the next couple of years, too, because, you know, the boys are young, man. The boys are young. And, and your coach, Sean McVay, is a very unique guy. You know, of course, I mean, obviously he's an Atlanta native, so, you know, shout out to that. But, you know, but more importantly, man, this is a team that has fully bought into what they're doing and, I don't see anybody who's better than them in football right now. Dwayne, I'll bring you back in, and we'll talk about the Steelers. as They went up to Cincinnati, and they defeated the Bengals. Uh, it was uh, a familiar connection as Roethlisberger to Brown for the go-ahead touchdown. The Steelers won 28-21, so they're still a game back behind the Ravens, who they lost to, but, you know, they – and a prove-it game against the Steelers, I mean, against the Bengals. They definitely showed up in this one. So, um, you know, the Steelers look like they're getting their stuff together as well heading into the bye. Um, you know, what do you see about the Steelers that impressed you in that victory? Well, you know, well, I know one thing, man. You know, these two teams uh, – contempt they have for each other is very, very deep, and I definitely thought when I was watching this game after the Panthers lost, I was watching this game, and this, it looked like Cincinnati was going to steal it, and then Pittsburgh ended up stealing it right back, and and uh, they once again break the Bengals' heart, so uh, one thing I think uh, I told him Brown's finally getting going now. It's kind of taking them a while. Uh, they've done very well. James Conner has performed very well in Le'Veon Bell's absence. And uh, Roethlisberger has been, you know, consistent. And uh, Smith-Schuster and Brown haven't been as dynamic as they usually are. Roethlisberger has been relying a lot more on his tight ends, uh, McDonald and James. But, you know, he's still getting the ball. They're still moving the ball, which is the main thing. And and uh, the classic uh, Roethlisberger to Ben Antonio uh, Brown connection strikes again and rears its ugly head for the uh, Bengals, who ended up bungling the game again. And you know, once we it's like we think Cincinnati is on the way up, and then they always do something to remind you that they're the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and, you know, now that, you know, the AFC North is kind of like restoring back to order with the Steelers and Ravens at the top of the division, it's just, just going to be wondering who, um, if the Steelers can get that game back. Uh, of course, you got to uh, wonder, not just if, but when uh, Le'Veon Bell's coming back. Um, 
is he going to come back after the bye week? Is he going to sit out some more? We shall see. But, um, you know, I don't know if the trade deadline's passed already. I think it hasn't yet. I think it's like the 30th. Uh, will he get traded away? Um, you know, Bell kind of also said he doesn't want to get traded from the Steelers, but you're not suiting up for him. So which one is it? So. Uh, it's going to be a very curious case of the Steelers within the next few weeks. See what they do and uh, go from there. And I just want to bring you in on this Le'Veon Bell situation. He said that he would report, you know, week seven, week eight. Week seven would be the bye week where he could actually, if he was to show up on Monday, pretty much could have just studied all week and got a paycheck and not even had to practice. But he hasn't had contact with the team. And like Dwayne was saying, you know, the trade deadline is coming up. And if he wants to play this kind of silent treatment game with them, he may find himself traded for, you know, just for them to be rid of the headache and the quote unquote distraction. But how do you see this Le'Veon Bell situation playing out? If you were Le'Veon Bell's agent, what would you advise him to do? I mean, shit. I mean, what what are you going to do now? I mean, You've already you've played your hand. I mean, you kind of have to ride it out at this point. And, you know, I don't blame him for doing it. The quest – I mean, look, I don't have a problem leaving Bell doing what he's doing. Cause I get it. What he is saying is, look, I know if I come back, they're going to run me 30 times a game, 25, 30 times a game. And I'm not going to let them take value away from me when they've already shown me that they're not going to resign me for another – you know, they're not going to give me an extension. They're going to try to get as much they can get out of me, and they're going to get rid of me. And I get it. From his shoes, I understand it. I also understand the team's shoes. I mean, look, man, they, you know, anything could happen. I mean, they could win the West, right? Excuse me. I mean, they could win their division. I'm sorry, I said the West. I mean, they could win their division. They could, especially that division. I mean, my God. I mean, what do you got in there? You got Cincinnati, who can't ever beat them. Cleveland, who they're Cleveland. God bless them. I mean, what do you got there? I mean, seriously. I mean, the Ravens are kind of on their way up. But, I mean, I still think that's the Steelers' division. So, they're looking at it like, hey, if we win the division, you know, we can get up, we can get up in the dance. And, you know, I think as the NFL has shown us, you get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter where you see it. Just get in and you can go to the Super Bowl. So they're looking at themselves still as a Super Bowl-type team. I don't think they are, but that's how they see themselves. So, look, I got a problem with what Le'Veon Bell is doing. I got a problem with what they're doing. I don't think the trade would work because he's not under contract technically, right? Right, because he would have to basically to, sign his sign tender. tender. Right, he would have to sign his yeah, tender, so, and then they would have to trade him to wherever. Yeah, so you can't really trade someone who you don't, who you don't have under contract. So... I don't think a trade would be what happens unless if it's a trade that he would be okay with and then signing the tender and then going to the other team and I guess getting, you know, I guess the fine money goes away or whatever have you. I mean, I would guess that just seems rather convoluted. I think what's going to happen is going to come back in week seven and they're going to get as much use of him out of, out of him as they can and we'll see what happens to him in free agency. But I mean, I look at it the same way I look at um, old timer situation. You know, he came back, he, he quote-unquote did the right thing, and what happened? He got hurt. Mm-hmm. And if I've learned nothing else covering these leagues, being around these teams, man, look, you know, these teams don't care nothing about 
you the fan, they don't care nothing about these players. They care about they don't even care about winning all the time. They care about making money. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's it. It's all about the dollar, man. Prime example, Mike Brown, because he will not get rid of Marvin Lewis. He'd rather not keep his money and keep Marvin Lewis and get a new coach. Well, I mean, and, you know, I've always struggled with Marvin Lewis because I think he's a good coach. Actually, I think he's a really good coach. Um, but, you know, I mean, just think about it, man. I mean, look, who else could deal with all the ish you got to deal with to coach in Cincinnati? I mean, all the things. Because, I mean, they don't spend a lot of money on resources and I mean, look, they practice outside of the stadium, bro, like in a grass lot outside of the stadium. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't, you know, some of these other franchises that spend a lot of money and resources on success. So, some of that is that, but, I mean, who are you going to get that's going to deal with all that? I mean, literally, bro, they literally practice. They literally practice on a grass lot outside. They don't have practice. Like man, nobody, nobody else in the NFL would be able to get. I that would deal with would be able to get what they get out of what Marvin Lewis gets out of that team. Yeah, okay, they hadn't won a playoff game, but they wouldn't be where they're at without Marvin Lewis. I, I mean, and I get what people are saying. I always come back with, "Have you been to Cincinnati? Have you been to that practice facility? Have you been?" And seeing the resources they had and the things they're doing and not doing, oh, yeah. nah, bro. I, I don't think you're gonna do any better than Marvin Lewis with Cincinnati being. Now that being said, I can make an argument that Mike Brown should not be allowed to be an owner. I could probably think of another eight to ten owners who shouldn't be like. And I said this on Twitter the other day, man. I, I'm trying to cut this short, but there's three types of owners in sports, generally speaking. There's the first group. Or guys who, you know, it's in the family and they're just happy to be there. They're just happy to own an NFL, NBA, Major League Ball Club, right? Um, then there's the guys who they want to win if it don't cost too much, yep. if it's not too hard. All right? I think most owners fall into that group or they want to win, they like to win. And then there's group three. There's owners who need to win and will spend whatever it takes in order to win. There ain't too many of them, boss. There ain't too many of them. And Mike Brown ain't one of them. I think Mike Brown is the number one group. And quite honestly, they're really lucky to have Marvin Lewis as long as they had to say. But if you really look at it all in totality, the Bengals are lucky to be what they are, and I, and that ain't much. Last two quick points on the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, he leads a second-half comeback to defeat the 49ers, 33-30. And in the shocking score of the week, the Cowboys, they dominated the Jaguars 40-7. to So Jaguars have taken a couple of uh, hits the last two weeks, their defense especially. Uh, giving up some pretty round numbers. Um, so we'll see kind of if they can bounce back with Leonard Fournette's health when he gets back into the lineup, if he can kind of stabilize 
uh, you know, their offense, and then, you know, they can give their defense a lot more rest and give them chances to attack. So before we close out the show, we're going to move on to the premier matchups for the NFL this week. We have the Bears facing the Patriots, the Bengals facing the Chiefs, the Cowboys and the Washington football team, the Eagles and the Panthers, the Texans and the Jaguars, and the Saints and the Ravens. So I'll start with Nebias this time. Nebias, which game of those that's three six you feel uh, you know intrigued by the most? Which one you'll be tuning into to kind of view with a get you know really detailed eye? Uh, I am very curious about the um, Chicago versus New England game. I, I'm really curious to see who the Bears are up against a good team. And I'm also curious to see who the Patriots are up against a tier for defense. I mean, because that young boy, Khalil Mack, I mean, look, man, I, I saw a reporter trying to say, you know, he's Lawrence Taylor. Okay, slow down on that. He, he ain't there. Nobody, <laughs> nobody will ever be there. Nobody will ever be there. Like, let's be clear. I mean, um, you know, Bill Belichick said it himself. Like, Hold on, he's talking Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, listen, listen. Let's talk to Brett a little bit. But that being said, Khalil Mack is a bad, bad man with bad intentions, dude. Like, that dude is cold, bro. Um, and that team, that defense that is, that is around him is pretty filthy. So, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat New England. The question, of course, will always be with Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback, can you score enough points to do what you need to do? But I tell you what, man, that defense is nice, and I want to see how that game plays out. All right, Dwayne, I'll ask you the same question, man. I think I know the answer, but which game are you going to be watching with a very detailed eye? Aside from the obvious, which you probably know what it is, I want to say the Saints and Ravens um, because these are two teams that both have four wins on the year. Uh, We got two – Quarterbacks who won a Super Bowl. You got um, one team who has a dynamic offense, but the defense was was great last year, but not as great as it was this year. And then you also have a team who's improved on the offensive end of the ball, but you know they're not they're not as dynamic as they can be, and the team that has a stout defense. So. The Saints-Ravens game, and also it's out on the road. We know how the Saints are at home. Uh, can they continue that? Can they continue that out of the comforts of the dome? Um, you know, this is probably one of the biggest true tests that New Orleans will have, especially with the temperatures being a lot cooler. So, and that's going to play a factor. So, I think that. And that's just something they have to uh, – we'll just have to watch out for because look at it. Uh, you had the shootout in Tampa Bay, which was at home. You had the escape against the Browns at home. You beat the Falcons, which was indoors. You beat the Giants, which was outdoors, but the temperature was relatively nice. Um, then you had the Redskins at home. So this is probably going to be a real test for, for the Saints outside of, you know, the comforts of – home and warm temperatures before you know they go back to the next two weeks at Minnesota indoors and hosting the Rams indoors. Um, 
I do like the Panthers-Eagles matchup. I mean, it's kind of two teams that are trying to still find their identity. And and uh, the Panthers don't give the game away like they did last week against Washington. And if the Eagles, you know, I think a lot of Eagles fans kind of put the Panthers in a spot where they're overrated, which they could be. You know, I'm not going to say that. They're not, but there's a couple games. Um, the Falcons uh, beat them. You know, they, they beat them. And then, and then um, you know, Washington beat them as well. I mean, the Redskins' defense, um, especially against the run, they have a lot of runner that's allowed more than 61 yards. I mean, McCaffrey only had 20. The Panthers only had 81 total. And that really just didn't get anything going there. So, uh, Panthers got to get the ball going, running the ball, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they do against the Eagles line, who's you know reemerging at this point. All right, I'll be looking forward to the Cowboys and the Washington Football Team. It comes down to which team can stop the other team's running game, and basically that's the game right there. If you see a whole bunch of Ezekiel Elliott on the field, the Cowboys are going to win. If you see a whole bunch of Adrian Peterson on the field, more than likely the Washington football team is going to win. So this game could go by in like two hours if if they really, you know, one team gets rolling, especially uh, Dallas because they got the better defensive line as far as applying pressure to the quarterback. And Washington has had a hard time protecting their quarterback. So not a good recipe right there, but – They've been strong running the ball, and the Cowboys have kind of given up some yards running. So we'll see how that plays out on Sunday. So at this point, we're going to turn it over to Nabias for his shout-outs and thank yous and a final point if he'd like to make one. Hey, man, just want to thank you guys for having me back on the show. You know, it's been a while. You know, life's been crazy and busy, but all that. But I'm really excited to see what CSPN is doing and, where you guys are going and how far you guys um, have brought this show. And, you know, just good being back, and hopefully we can book a return match. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Dwayne, your uh, final thoughts, shout-outs, and thank yous. Okay, shout-out to the listeners. Shout-out to, um, you know, you guys. um Always good discussing sports with you guys. As always, good to be back. Um, today, you know, very, you know, today's been a great day. I want to thank my parents, you know, for all the support and all the love and the birthday card and the money, too, which is always good. So uh, it's been a good birthday today. I'm recording this as well. Um, NBA opening night. Um, two great games that I was able to actually sit and watch for the first time I've actually been able to sit and watch a basketball game in a long time. Uh, the Celtics looked pretty good, even for Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, you know, their first games back from injuries. Um, you know, Kyrie didn't shoot all that great. I think he was like two for 13. Hayward was like four for 12 and the Celtics still won by 18 points, so um, very, very good game. Um, shows how loaded they can be in the wide-open Eastern Conference. Uh, so many 
teams have a shot to win Boston, uh, Toronto, Philadelphia, Indiana, uh, Milwaukee has potential as well, along with the outside shot, the Wizards as well. So uh, the East is open, especially with LeBron James being gone. Um, no matter what Tristan Thompson says, yes, they're the, the Cavs are the defending Eastern Conference champions, but let's be realistic here. So, um, uh, and then out west, watching uh, the Golden State Warriors, and got to give the Oklahoma City Thunder credit. A lot of people thought, you know, no Westbrook, uh, they're gonna get literally right out of the gym, but they ended up doing well. So, uh, great, great win, and that's my final thought for today. All right. I'd like to give a shout out to Nabias for joining us. Give a shout out to Dwayne as well. Give a shout out to everybody here on the CSPN who helps keep the network running. Please head over to our Patreon page over at patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. See exclusive videos and have exclusive podcasts that are only over there on the Patreon site. Um, there's a really cool post-race interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr. where he's fresh out of the car after racing where he talks about you know, what this race meant to him and, and kind of described how his night went. So really cool stuff. Uh, the bad and boozy podcast is now up in video form over there on patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. So please check that out. And on my final note, I'll just give a shout out to the young guys in racing, uh, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott. They won back to back races. Ryan Blaney won the Roval in Charlotte. Chase Elliott won at Dover. So, you know, the best thing that could happen for NASCAR two young fresh faces with a lot of fans behind them getting into the winner circle in NASCAR's playoffs. So um, big boost for NASCAR and uh, hopefully they can continue on with getting wins and continuing to put NASCAR in the spotlight by being, you know, young and up and coming drivers. So again, for Nabias Wilborn and the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.